Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message from Zoe Church, Los Angeles. Uh, thank you to everyone that likes, subscribes, comments, and partners with us with our church trying to get the message of Jesus around the world. This week, you're going to hear an encouraging message. We have none other than Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. from Miami, Florida. I think you're going to be inspired. I think it's going to help equip you. Let's jump right into this week's message. Encouragement out of the book, Single and Secure. Pick up a copy on Amazon. Come on, let's check out this week's message. Let me just pick up just a couple verses here, and then I'm going to read one other verse from Hebrews. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Verse 20, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Let me just read up one other verse from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Write this one down. See to it that no one misses. Everyone say, don't miss it. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. This is an important little verse right here. That God's grace has been released to a broken humanity, but you could miss it. It requires you to receive it. There's no, there's, no, there's no work that you need to do, but you could miss it if you don't receive it. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I want to take the next few moments tonight and I want to preach from the subject heartache and heartbreak. Heartache and heartbreak. Um, I have been pastoring now uh, for almost 14 years, and getting to do that is the privilege of my life because I get to talk to people in all sorts of different seasons and time frames of their life. And it's amazing because so often, especially in 2022, so many of us, we struggle with where we're currently at. If you notice, it's like everyone wants to be anywhere but here. <laughs> we're thinking about there. We want to go over there. Like, and there's a lot of things for this, right? When we, we scroll social media and like how many of y'all know social media is like, I didn't know how unhappy I was until I discovered how happy you are. Um, it, it, it robs us of our soul. And many people, it's funny. I'll talk to single people in our church, a lot of them. They're like, yo, Pastor Rich, bro. Oh, man, I just want to get married. I just got, I got to find someone, bro. I got to find someone. I got to get married. What they don't know is I'll be talking to married people on the side. And they're like, yo, Pastor Rich, I got to get out of this marriage. <laughs> no married people said amen tonight. Okay. What is the point? The point is, is that culture would lie to us and try to tell us that the grass is green on the other side. But friends, that's not true. It's just green where you water it. Make a decision to be right where you are and water grass. What I have learned when it comes to the category of relationships is that many relationship problems boil down to individual issues. How do you get a healthy relationship? You have to start with two healthy individuals. And it is really important, especially those of you that want to get married or trying to get married or are married, who you align yourself with is, it's huge because the person you marry is either your greatest asset or your greatest liability. They're either pushing you towards your calling and your purpose, or many times they are pulling you back. Someone's like, I wish I would have heard this five years ago. Um, 
In the world that we're living in today, it wants you to despise where you are. And as you despise where you are, you start getting desperate. You think time is running out. This has ever happened before. Like I, I, sometimes I'll, I'll wake up in the middle of the night. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you're thirsty? Why is it in the middle of the night when you wake up and you're thirsty? It's like, it's like a thirst like you've never experienced. It's like that. I used to do a marathon in the Sahara. Ah! You're angry. You're going through your house. You're running into stuff. You open the refrigerator. The light blinds you like it's heaven. And you grab what? You grab anything you can find. 2% milk. It's like, I'll just drink whatever I can find. How many of y'all know? If you get thirsty enough, you'll drink anything in the fridge. Oh, it's going to be like that tonight. Okay, we're doing sound effects. Oh, ho, 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 ho. it's for my neighbor. It's like, chill. I love you. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch cartoons, and there would always be that cartoon where there's somebody out in the desert, and they are so thirsty. You've seen it before, right? And what happens? They start to have these things called mirages. It's a real phenomenon that you start to see things that are not there. Some of us, that's how we got married. That's how we started a relationship. We get drunk on this thing called love, but in reality, we are dating dehydrated. I think love is awesome. I'm not, not against love. I love love. Love is amazing. Love is one of the great gifts in life. But I think many times people don't realize that they've made love their God. And anything that takes the place of the true God is an idol in your life. And so I'm, I want to speak from my heart and I want to try to help you. But listen to me. Some of us, what we are calling love is actually just thirst. Love is blind. We say stuff like this, right? Like love is blind. I fell. We just fell in love. Okay, careful. Because if you fell in love, you will fall out of love. You need to make a decision with who you are aligning yourself with. But we have selective hearing, especially in church. Like church, it's funny because I'll get done preaching something sometimes. People come to me like, bro, that was great. And then they'll quote back my message. I'm like, I didn't say none of that. <laughs> but we, have, we hear what we want to hear, especially in the category of relationships. And falling in love is awesome. I'm just telling you, you need to be careful. You need to invite some counsel into it. Because if you're not careful, you will date dehydrated and you will settle for second best. And I was thinking about me falling in love. I love falling in love, but yo, there was some stuff I was doing when I was falling in love that I would be so embarrassed if you were to see it because I looked crazy. People say crazy stuff when they're falling in love. It's like, no, you don't get it, man. We both have the same favorite color. It's blue. It, this is deep. It's like, yeah, the whole world likes the color blue, you know? No, but our favorite food, pizza and rich, we have a song. And I'm like, I, I'm glad you have a song, but you're going to need more when you come against the pressures and the opposition of life than a song. My wife and I, we did, it was falling in love, it's cute, but it's like, bro, I hope there's more than just the cute butterflies. Butterflies come, and then guess what? Butterflies fly away. I'd be on the phone with my wife, like, girl, man. By the way, how many of y'all know, like, you can tell when a guy is in love, because every man who's ever been in love has two different voices. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Like, you just, you want to see it? It's like, dude's like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, what's up, man? What's up, bro? You going to church? All right. Ah, ha, ha. This girl calls him. Ring, ring. Hey, babe, what's going on? How are you? <laughs> it's true, bro. It's true. <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on. Hold on. Hey, what, no, I'm with the guys. I'm just with the guys hanging out. <laughs> My wife and I, we were falling in love. It was weird. I was like, I just want to just fall asleep with you on the phone. I just want to hear you breathe. <sighs> 
okay, we, we got to get off. We got to get off. This has been too, we have the phone. We have to get off the phone, okay? No, I don't want to hang up. Shut up. No, you have to hang up. No, I'll never do that to you. I would never hang up on you. On the count of three, ready? We're going to do it together. One. Dos. That's two in Spanish. Oh my God, you're so funny. This is so stupid. Three. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Like, it's beautiful. I just want to make sure that we understand that while that stuff is happening, while the chemistry is beginning, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find real satisfaction. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find the fulfillment you're looking for. Because it might be a mirage. That's why when you're dating someone, like this is not even the message, but it's like dating should be investigation. Who are you? I want to ask a few questions. Do you have any debt? Do you have another family I should know about? This is 2022. I'm not even kidding right now. What makes you angry? What makes you mad? I want to meet your mother. Oh, I don't talk to my mom. Oh, now I definitely want to talk to your mother. I was talking to someone, they're like, Pastor Rich, will you marry us? I'm like, cool, yeah. What do you guys fight about? They're like, oh my God, we never fight. I was like, I ain't marrying y'all. Y'all need to go out in the parking lot, get into a fight, see what he looks like when he turns red, see what she looks like when she turns red, and then discover, can you actually find conflict resolution and still go on the journey? Because the butterflies will come, but they will leave. What's amazing right now is that this is not just like good little handles. This is biblical. It's not my sermon tonight, but John chapter 4 is this what I'm telling you. There's a woman in John chapter 4. John chapter 3 starts the text, and it's Nicodemus, who is this religious man who comes in the night to Jesus with questions. He's got these questions of his heart because although he's doing all the right things, he still goes to bed at night, and his soul is not complete. His soul is not content. So here he comes to Jesus, and he's like, yo, Jesus, what is going on? Like, who are you? And Jesus is like, aren't you a teacher in Israel? You ought to know what I'm talking about. The only way you can get eternal life is you must be born again. And Nicodemus is blown away. He's like, born again? How could I do that? I've already come out of my mother one time like I don't know how to do that he's like you're not understanding flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit he's talking about a supernatural spiritual rebirth but Nicodemus represents the people that are lost on the inside that you can be all around church and you can be doing all the right things and you can be living the squeaky clean moral life but just because you're moral and just because you have religion doesn't mean you have a relationship with an all-sufficient God who is for you and who wants to complete you But then in John chapter 4, we meet this woman. She's a Samaritan woman, and she's out drawing water in the afternoon, which right away is already kind of crazy and tells us a whole lot about who this woman is. Because Nicodemus represents the man who's lost on the inside, but the woman in John chapter 4 represents the person who's lost on the outside. Maybe you're here tonight, and this is your first time in a church service like this or a community like this. What I love about Jesus is Jesus, he detours his trip, and he ends up in this area called Samaria. It doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but it's a really big deal back then because Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And Samaritans, it was classic racism. Jews looked down upon Samaritans. A lot of reason for that. Samaritans were a mixed race. There were Jewish people who had actually ended up um, having families with Assyrians. And because of that, they had pagan gods. And so Jewish people in that time period looked down upon them. Not just that, she's a Samaritan. She's also a woman. And she's drawing water in the middle of the day. The reason why is she's going when it's really hot outside because she does not want the crowd to see her. And so she draws water when no one else is looking Because we find quickly in John chapter 4 that this woman, even in a pagan society, 
has done something so immoral, so deplorable that people cannot look upon her. And so she's hiding her shame. She's been married five different times. And the man she's with now is still not her husband. And Jesus shows up right in that moment to have a divine intervention. And he says, can you get me some water? And she's confused why this man would even be talking to her. And she's like, well, I, what, you, you, why are you talking to me? And he's like, well, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd be asking me for water. Well, what do you mean? Well, I got water that when you drink of it, you will never thirst again. She's like, well, wait, where is this water from? He goes, well, why don't you go get your husband? I'll tell you about it. <laughs> Savage Jesus. She's like, well, I don't have a husband. It's a white lie. He's like, you are true in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the dude you're with right now, the sixth man still ain't your husband. But I am the seventh man in your life. And seven is the number of completion. And if you would recognize the thing that you are thirsty for is not another relationship. It's not another moment. It's not another high. You need me in your life if you're ever going to find the satisfaction and the security that you are so desperate for. Can I get a witness if there's anybody in the room tonight who has been made complete and satisfied and secure in Christ Jesus? Drink of me and you'll never thirst again. You will never thirst again. This is the premise and the basis of where we begin our relationships in a place of wholeness, in a place of completion, that my spouse is not the person who's going to complete me. Your spouse makes a terrible God. They can't do that work. You will either crush them or you will end up resenting them. And even in the church and even in faith, we have turned other people into small gods and little idols and we expect them to satisfy the cravings of our soul. What happens to many people in the category of relationships is somewhere on the journey, something happens. There really is no pain like relationship pain. And as we shift the tone a little bit tonight, we do so with a, with a heart that wants to help bring reconciliation and restoration to those that are hurting tonight. Because what we discover here in the passage in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, don't miss the grace of God and do not let a root of bitterness defile you. What I've met about a lot of people is a lot of people are not single and secure. A lot of people are single and bitter. And let's not just come after single people. I know married, married and bitter, divorced and bitter. I thought that that was going to make me happy, but I just, I just became more and more bitter. And bitterness, it's a challenge because when you have a root of bitterness in your life, bitterness begins to rob you of every blessing that God wants to do in and through you. God can't even bless you because you are looking through a lens of bitterness and it stifles the good thing he wants to do. Now the passage talks about a root of bitterness, but before you get to a root of bitterness, you have to start with a seed of bitterness. What is a seed of bitterness? Well, a seed of bitterness typically starts with an offense. Have you noticed in 2022, everybody's offended? Just, I'm offended, bro. No, why? Well, do you see how he looked at me? He doesn't even know you. Well, I know him. 
And the enemy loves to use a seed of offense, a place of hurt, and then we don't deal with the hurt. And then the hurt begins to grow, and bitterness gives way to resentment, and resentment stifles us from moving forward. Do you know what offense does? Offense builds a fence around you. It makes your world smaller. Sometimes my wife, she's like the Holy Spirit in my life. Spouses can see stuff that other people can't see. It's funny, when you're bitter, right? Like, you can see everybody else's bitterness. You can't ever see your own bitterness. No, I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not. My wife would be like, Rich, your bitterness is showing. I'm like, that's really rude, you know? But it's true. Your, your, your bitterness is showing. Bitterness is like clouds. When they move away, everything begins to be beautiful. In our passage that we looked at from Ruth, the story of Ruth is an amazing story. We don't have nearly enough time to go all the way into it, but I love her story because Ruth is this, the daughter of a woman by the name of Naomi. Naomi and her husband Elimelech are Israelites, the Jewish people, and there's a famine in Israel, and so they leave to an enemy territory known as Moab. Even this act in this time period was a sinful act. They were stepping over into enemy territory, and they had no business being there. Let me just remind everybody in 2022, it is better to be hungry in the will of God than to be well-fed outside of God's will. Just truth. Because even in their story, like Elimelech and Naomi, they go to Moab, they have two boys, and then these two boys end up marrying Moabite women. But then as the story goes, Elimelech and both of the sons, they, they die. Because you can escape famine, but you can't escape death. We're called to be people of obedience, to follow what he's designed for us. And so the story goes that Naomi's left with two of her daughters. The first daughter-in-law, her name is Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah. Shout out Oprah, huge fan. And um, the other one is this daughter named Ruth. And what we discover is that Naomi is ready to go back to Bethlehem where she's from. But before she goes back, she looks at her daughter-in-laws and says, you guys should stay here. You have no future. You're not going to marry someone else again. You should stay here in Moab. And it sounds really nice. It sounds really kind. But when you discover the context, what you realize is that it's not kind at all. She's going to leave her daughter-in-laws in a space that is enemy territory to God's people that have a completely different ideology and a paradigm, although they have already made a decision to follow the one true Jehovah God. You say, well, why would she do that? It sounds like she has a good heart, but in reality, it's because she doesn't want to go back home to her people with the evidence of where she's been. Some of us have been there before where we've made a mistake, an act of shame, and I just want to shed the evidence. I don't want no one to know where I've been. And so Oprah's like, all right, I'm going to stay. Like, let's go, Moab. You know, I don't know. It's a good club name, right? And, um, but Ruth, who's my favorite, Ruth is, Ruth is ruthless. I should have written that. Ruth is ruthless. She's like, nah, 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 nah. I already made a decision. And uh, I'm going with you. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. That, that, that's it, Romans, R Ruth chapter one. I mean, it's awesome. I'm like, this girl is ruthless. And so she goes back with Naomi. And when Naomi gets back to Bethlehem, they're like, hey, ain't that Naomi? And Naomi goes, don't call me Naomi, but rather call me Mara. Because I went away full, but I have returned empty. Mara literally translated means bitter. How many of y'all know, it's one thing to get bitter in life. It's another thing when I am bitter. 
My name is bitter. How many of y'all know? I don't care. Like, this is not on anybody's list. I want tall, dark, and bitter. No. This is going to repel. This is going to push away the blessing of God. And as you read the story of Ruth, it is not the bitterness of Naomi that restores the story, but rather it is the faithfulness of Ruth. And Ruth is not just faithful to Naomi. Ruthful is faithful to the God on the inside of Naomi. I have already made up my mind. I'm not going to become bitter, even though I have all the reason to. I don't get to choose what happens in my life. I get to choose how I respond to what happens to me. If anyone should be bitter, it should be Ruth. Y'all came into my home. Y'all married me. Now I'm back in a place I've never been before. And I've got a whole future in front of me. But that's not how she responds. She responds with faithfulness. A lot of things that lead to bitterness. But two categories tonight that I want us to think about. The first category is the category of heartache. And when I use this term heartache tonight, I'm using it from the standpoint that heartache is the thing inside of me that I always, I always longed for this to happen. I was always, I always desired for this, but, but I never got it. It never came my way. It differs from heartbreak, which we'll see. Heartache is the longing for something that you believed and always desired, but you never got. We can talk a lot about all sorts of different soul heartaches, but one of the greatest heartaches that people don't spend nearly enough talking, time talking about, even in the church, is the heartache of what I call a father wound. And a father wound, by definition, is an area of your life where there was absence of love from your biological father. The world and culture would call this daddy issues. And it gets thrown around and it kind of gets projected on people and labeled on people. But I actually firmly believe, according to my theology, that all of us in this room are dealing with some level of a daddy issue. That I longed for something that I did not get from my earthly father. Maybe you were neglected. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were betrayed. Maybe you were rejected. Maybe you didn't get the affirmation you were looking for. And what has happened now is that thing has hit your life. And now because of it, you are looking for love in all the wrong places, simply craving a love that your father never gave you. And there's all sorts of different types of dads. I, I, I am recently a dad, and I am on the journey of hopefully becoming a better one day by day. I got a long way to go. But there's different types of dads. And I just use these as very, very broad labels. But uh, the first type of dad that I'm thinking about tonight is what I call the tragic dad. And even in this room tonight, there's, there's people that your, the story of your father's tragic. That maybe he wasn't even necessarily good or necessarily bad, but maybe for some reason he was never able to be there in your life. Some dear friends of mine back home in Miami, both of them, they're a couple, both of them lost their father when they were 12 and 13 years of age. And I have discovered on the journey of leading with them that there are wounds in pain that they did not cause, that they did not create, but it's left gaps on the inside of their soul and they have to deal with it or it can give way to a seed of bitterness and it will give way to a root of bitterness and it will create a portion or of their life that's offended and it stops you and robs you. Maybe it wasn't the tragedy dad. Maybe, let's just be honest, maybe your dad was just downright terrible. Dude, the stories that are in this room tonight, a terrible father, a father who did things to you that no one should have ever done to you, placed his hands on you, 
screamed at you. Maybe he was addicted. Maybe there was reasons, but he was a terrible father, and you are still at 35 years of age working through that. Many of us even denying that. Maybe you had the tough dad. You know, the tough dad. Like, it didn't, like he was there, but like, no matter what you did, it wasn't enough. Just always letting you know that you don't measure up strong, shouting at you. And you've lived your whole life, and now what you've done is you've become a performer. Because if you can perform for people, and people will smile at you, and people will applaud you, it's like, that's the love I've been looking for. And you wonder why your relationships all of a sudden lead to disappointment. It's because there's nothing authentic about it. You are performing. It's a mirage. It's not the actual you. It's a projected version of you. Maybe your dad, the fourth type, was the tender dad. Tender dad's great, but he's soft and he's sweet and he's kind, but he never put any conviction in you, didn't put a standard inside of you, didn't give you a value system, didn't teach you how to stand up against the rejection, didn't teach you how to go after the things that God's called you for. And so every time you come against a struggle, every time you come against heartache, every time you come against opposition, you back down. Maybe the fifth type of dad, and this is just me, maybe your dad was terrific. My dad, I just, I, we all have to tell our story, my dad was terrific. My dad is terrific. My dad married the same woman 40-some years, raised four sons. Uh, one of those boys was disabled at a young age, and uh, somehow he managed to keep us all together. All four of my brothers are in the ministry. They love God today. By no means do we have a perfect family. But, man, we love one another. We, we love each other. My dad, is just, he, he was a terrific dad. I give you all those labels, not to try to stir up something, but tonight I want to make sure that we're getting down to the root because as you look at the fruit of your life, you look at the fruit of your relationships, many times it comes down to the heartache of your father because even if you had a terrific dad like me, what you will discover in this life is that your earthly father is the very first person, the very first thing that gives you a portrayal or gives you an idea of who your heavenly father is. And I don't care, even if your dad was terrific, he will never measure up to your heavenly father. And therefore, it can leave you at times feeling less than. And so what we learn is we learn that many times our view of God is either a projection or a rejection of our earthly dad. In many ways, this is why Jesus came. And you're like, are you really going to the gospel right now? Yeah, you have to go to the gospel. This is like why we do what we do. Malachi chapter 4, it's the last Old Testament book in the Bible, and after this prophecy goes forth, there's hundreds of years before Jesus arrives on the scene. And in that prophecy, Malachi says that the next Elijah, who is John the Baptist, he will come and he will announce the way, who is Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Meaning, when Jesus came, one of the reasons he came was to bring restoration and reconciliation in the home. This is why Jesus says in the book of John, he says, I will not leave you as an orphan. But all over the church today, we have an orphan spirit, and it's derived from a father wound. And somehow, because of my earthly dad, I'm not enough. I don't measure up. And the way that I view God is all through the lens of who my dad wasn't or was not. But it was never designed to be this way. We were never supposed to judge our God according to our earthly father. We were always supposed to look at our earthly father through the lens of our good and gracious heavenly father. What did Jesus say? He said, no one comes to the father unless they first come through the son. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Many people hear that passive scripture and it's become very polarizing. It sounds very exclusive. It sounds mean. How dare Jesus make a claim like that? And you can either read it through the lens of exclusivity or you can read it through the lens of he's being just very specific. But what I've learned about the church is that we will spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. This church talks a lot about Jesus. We will talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. But many times we will not talk about the Father. And could it be it's because we've developed an orphan spirit of what we were missing on the earth that now we could never believe that the Father is good and loves me? I'm telling you, friends, you will never reap the totality of your salvation until you take the journey from the Son to the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is important because it's the Son who brings forgiveness for your sins. But it's the Father who brings healing, healing for your sins. And that's why there's so many people that are on their way to heaven, but they are living broken on this earth. They are living wounded. They are living, missing out on the totality of what Jesus came for. Luke 15, my favorite thing in the Bible is this prodigal boy who runs off and he wastes his inheritance on wild living and he ends up in a pig pen. And the scripture says when he comes to his senses, he's like, what am I doing here? I ought to go back to my father and maybe he will make me just like one of my hired friends that work for him. And so the son starts his long journey home and he's working on his repentance speech. I can just see it like, oh man, when dad sees me, he's going to be really ticked off. He's really going to punish me. But the Bible says that the father is on the front porch and he sees the son in the distance. And when he sees the son in the distance, he takes off running towards the son. This is the picture that Jesus gives you about your heavenly father. That when you just make a slight turn towards the father, he starts running towards you. Slow are the feet of repentance. Oh, but come on, baby. Swift are the feet of grace. There is a father who is running towards you, who wants to wrap you up in love on you. And until I get this vertical relationship right, I will not be in a position to get my horizontal relationships in a healthy manner. God loves you. The Father is for you. He will give you the strength and the capacity to go on a journey of forgiveness. Heartache. 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 But it's not just heartache that can become the seed of bitterness. It's heartbreak. And tonight there are stories in this room so many stories in this room. Divorce, betrayal, affairs, abuse, rejection, loss, grieving. There's someone here tonight that you just lost someone, and I'm just telling you, there is no pain like relationship pain. Where heartbreak differs from heartache is heartbreak is when you had something and it's taken from you. And how, Rich, do I manage that? How do I mitigate that? How do I walk through the pain of this? How do I not let bitterness show up in my life? Here's what I know. It sounds kind of cliche, but it's true. God can heal your broken heart, 
but you have to give him all the pieces. What does that mean? It means total surrender. It means, God, I'm going to trust you with this pain. It's beautiful. This is the scriptures. This is where Naomi, you know, she's got heartbreak. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She's, she's got a lot of loss. But the word brokenhearted was invented in 1000 BC and it was first showed up in the Bible. It's always amazing to me because people will say things that come from the Bible, but they don't believe in God whatsoever. It's kind of like our calendar system, right? Like, I don't know. Well, you can't tell time without Jesus. B.C. and A.D. Um, Psalm 34, verse 18. Let this be a whisper to someone's soul. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, our God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at once. But it's this little verse that I found so much comfort in that when I am broken, God gets closer to me. God's proximity and his presence gets closer to me in my brokenness. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That word binds up their wounds, a modern day translation of this would be like a cast. That when you break your arm, they put it in a cast. And what does the cast do? The cast puts your arm in a position and a posture for healing and then it restricts the movement and it gives it time to rest. And this is what Jesus will do with your heart if you will trust him fully and surrender yourself. He'll put a cast on your heart. He'll put it in the posture of healing. It won't happen overnight. It will happen over time. But you've got to trust him with it. I don't know who I'm speaking to tonight, but maybe you're going through a heartbreak. Maybe you just lost a relationship. I, I stood outside this um, morning and I got to sign some books, which was really fun and get to hear your stories. <clears throat> and hopefully tonight we can... Hang out tonight as well. I'd love to hear some of your stories. But I can't tell you how many people came by and it's like, yo, I just lost an eight-year relationship. And I just lost the person I thought I was going to be with. I mean, just story after story. Rich, what do I do? How do I give God the pieces? There's so many things we could talk about. There's books written on this. But there's three things I'm thinking about tonight. The first thing I would say to you tonight if you're dealing with a broken heart and how do I give those pieces over to God, the first thing you have to do is you have to stop denying the pain. I don't know what it is, but in church, we get really good at faking it till we make it. That's not faith. I'm good, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Shut up. Nothing's healing. Pain is a gift from God as an indicator that something's not right. It's funny, right? Because if my arm was broken, imagine like, this is kind of great. Imagine like the bone is sticking out of my arm, and I'm like, I'm good. I'm gonna keep preaching. You'd be like, Stop, dude. Chill out. No, I'm good. You're like, No, we're gonna, we're gonna take some time. You have to stop denying the pain. I was reading a great psychologist who was talking about what your brain pattern does when you're going through grief or loss or when relationship pain takes place in your life. And he said when they've studied the brain, what you'll find out about the brain is that the exact same brain waves that are going on in an addict's life when they're having withdrawals from their drug is the exact same brain waves that take place in your brain and my brain when we lose someone we love. Wow. Say, Rich, why? I'm telling you that because that's a wake-up call. I'm good. You're not good. You're having withdrawals. What do I do with the withdrawals, Rich? You talk to somebody. You certainly don't try to treat yourself. Imagine a heart surgeon like, give me the scalpel. I'll take care of myself. No. 
You need a friend. You need a pastor. You need a therapist. You need a counselor. You need to get real with what's going on in your life. Stop denying the pain, friend. Stop denying the pain. Stop denying the pain. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. You're not in trouble for being broken. The trouble comes when you get bitter. I can't keep denying the pain. I think the second thing, and this is just like real practical, stop deifying your partner. I don't know why this is, but like people in the breakups, you know, it's like, you know, my wife, she was ruthless. She broke up me like three or four times. One time on Thanksgiving, my God. It's not going to work. On Thanksgiving? You ever cry so hard you convince yourself you have asthma? Like you. The Lord spoke to her. She turned, turned her heart. And, uh, but what we can do is sometimes, this is just important, sometimes we can get into a relationship and all of a sudden it can break and fall apart and maybe it wasn't by our own doing or maybe it was by your doing but we have this tendency all humanity does this so often we have a tendency to glorify the past remember we started this message about talking about right here right now watering the grass where i am the future's not better the past is not better right here is the big time right here is the moment and so we start to deify our partner we start to talk about them like like they are better than what they actually were but rich you don't understand we had a song I just, you don't understand. Like, I just, it's so hard. I just, oh my God. I just, I'll never forget that night on the Ferris wheel and we were together and it was so special. But you're telling half a truth. You're leaving out the part that you guys got back in the minivan afterwards and you argued all the way home. That's why it's really important that when something's over and you break up, this isn't to be heartless. This is to be really truthful. You should create a list as to all the reasons why that person wasn't good for you. Why? Because late in the midnight hour. <laughs> when the feelings come on, you need to pull out something that brings you back to sobriety and be like, wait a minute. She stripped me of all my confidence. He cheated on me multiple times. I'm not going back to that. That's not good. It's practical. See, what's important in life is this word called closure. We don't teach it enough in church, but it's very, very important. How do we get closure? It's a very, very simple principle. You bring closure in your life when you bring meaning to the moment of what you went through. Why? Because the story you tell yourself will be the life that you live. Meaning, your meaning for why that had to fall apart and why that wasn't good doesn't have to make any sense to me whatsoever. It just needs to make sense to you. It's how we bring closure. The way I bring closure is I bring meaning. That was a season, and this is what I learned, and this is how I grew, and I'm becoming a better version of who I am, and I wish that person the best, but I am moving forward. The worship team can come up here, otherwise I'll never close this message. The, 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 the third thing I would say is um, you have to stop defying the process. There's no simple way to say this, friends. It is a process to heal. In the same way, like, go, go back to the same analogy. Like, my, I'm like, I'm good now. I'm healed now. It's like, you're not healed, Rich. Your bone, we all see your bone sticking out. No, I'm good. 
And what do we do? We start looking for love in all the wrong places. We're broken, we're hurting. You know what hurt people do? They hurt other people. That's what they do. Like, you're not healthy. You're, you gotta give this some time. The silliest thing you can do is end one relationship and start one. <laughs> I don't know what, how much time, but like, it, you can't just go right into it. It's a process. Um, this Bible I'm preaching out of, I've been preaching out of it for quite a few years. This Bible, I'm talking about a terrific dad. My dad gave me this Bible on my 18th birthday. My dad's awesome. He has these knighting ceremonies for us when we turn 18. I'm like, Dad, we're not knights. He's like, yes, you are, son. I'm like, I receive it, you know. I'm like, call me Lancelot, you know. I don't know. I'm like, it's a true story. And, um, on my 18th birthday at my nighting ceremony. <laughs> he gave me his Bible. And it wasn't just his Bible, it was that for the three years before he gave it to me, he had given one to my older brother before. But in this Bible that I preach from are notes upon notes from my dad. In fact, when I come up against so many different texts that I'm looking at it for the first time, there'll be a little note from my dad, preach this, Rich. I'm like, I think that's the Lord, you know. <laughs> and um, I was preaching from it for a while. It looks like a really new Bible tonight, maybe. But um, it was falling apart. And so about a year ago uh, or so, I sent it to get rebound. And when they rebound the Bible, the Bible was restored to its original state. And I'm not trying to be pithy or cliche. I'm trying to be practical and real. When your heart is broken, you don't need a rebound relationship. You need to be rebound back to the person of Jesus where your confidence and your security and your healing comes. Because when you rebound to that old rugged cross, there is restoration that hits your life. It's not a new Bible. It's an old Bible. It's just been restored. God wants to restore you. God wants to heal your heart. Listen to me. If you don't heal from what hurt you, you're going to bleed on people who never cut you. Some of you, you're missing out on the beautiful blessing that God has in front of you right now because something happened to you that you did not choose or that you did not want want and it's robbing you of the beauty that's around you tonight and you're bleeding and you're bleeding but the person to your left and the person to your right is not your problem the problem's coming from within and you say rich what do i do there's only one word it's not a popular word but it's a true word it's the word forgiveness you gotta forgive it took me 50 minutes to say that because it's a long journey to get there I don't like sermons. Like, today we're going to talk about forgiveness. It's like, well, bro, I don't even like you. I, I, might, I might need to forgive you by the end of this message. Because forgiveness is hard work. Forgiveness is not sweeping stuff under the rug. Forgiveness is not acting like something didn't happen to you that was unjust or wrong. Forgiveness takes strength and security. Forgiveness is a willingness to face the problem head on and walk through it and release the person who's hurt you. Many of us, 
like Nelson Mandela said, it's unforgiveness that's drinking poison thinking it's going to kill the other person. You're not hurting your oppressor. You're not hurting your abuser. You're hurting you. And it's forgiveness. Exodus 15, verse 22. I'm in the Old Testament. They're in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. But sometimes you can be taken out of Egypt, but it's hard to get Egypt out of you. And the Israelites are wandering in disobedience, but God has plans and provision, but they are disobeying left and right. And they finally show up here in Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to, what's the word? Mara. They could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara today. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. The first time we see the name Mara is not in the, in, in the book of Ruth, it is in Exodus. And when Naomi says, call me Mara, she is referring to this body of water in Exodus. I'm like that body of water. I have become bitter. There's nothing sweet about me. What can Naomi do? Naomi has to do the same thing that you and I have to do. It's what they did in Exodus. God speaks to Moses and says, grab a piece of wood. In another translation, it says he grabs a log. And he says, throw the log into the water. And when the log hits the water, the water becomes sweet. So Rich, I don't know what we're talking about. I'm telling you that Exodus right here is an outline. It's a trace. It's called a foreshadow of a better and bigger story to be told. That you and I in our bitterness and our pain, Jesus Christ came and took a piece of wood, took a log, put it on his back, and he jumped into our bitterness and he jumped into our pain and he makes all things sweet. He made it sweet. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the cross. It's a, it's a good story if you never read Ruth. Because uh, Naomi and Ruth, they go back and Ruth just stays faithful. She ends up being in the right field at the right time for a guy named Boaz. Get you a Boaz. Not a broke-ass, Boaz. <laughs> stupid if you're offended this is not the church for you if you love that you're welcome in this family I close we're going to sing I'm going to let Chad lead us here but Ruth she marries Boaz but it's from their lineage it's part of their legacy that Jesus Christ is born why? because bitterness is always ugly but forgiveness whew, that's attractive that's beautiful forgiveness is sweet and I close I was in Montana two weeks ago preaching for my friend Levi Lusco he's preached here many times many of you know his teaching his preaching he's a good man of God and I love him very very much and I was with him and some of you know Levi's story but Levi a few years back his five year old daughter had an asthma attack and died in his arms five-year-old little girl named Lenya. He wrote a beautiful book 
If anyone's hurting or grieving tonight, dealing with loss, I recommend that book. It's a powerful book. But I was just with him two weeks ago. And I was sitting with him and I said, bro, were you ever mad at God? Because I got little babies now at my home. I got a four-year-old boy. I can't even imagine holding him and him dying in my arms. I said, were you ever mad at God? He said, Rich, I was never mad at God. I said, how? He said, because I got a revelation. I wasn't mad at God. I was mad with God. And God is the only person who's done anything to solve it. He sent his perfect son, Jesus, into the bitter waters. And he put his punishment, my punishment, on his back. And when God looks down upon our sin and our brokenness, he's mad with us. He faces the pain with us. I'm not mad at God. I'm mad with God. God tonight, he weeps over your pain. He weeps over your struggle. He cares about your broken heart and your heartache. And he says, I am a good father. Just turn towards me and I will run towards you and I will wrap my arms around you. And when I wrap my arms around you, I'm gonna put a coat on your back. I'm gonna put new sandals on your feet. I'm gonna put a ring on your finger and we're gonna kill the fattened calf because we're about to have a celebration that my child is home. I thought he was dead, but it turns out he's alive. I thought he was lost, but it turns out he has been found. Come on, somebody. Give God a shout of praise tonight if you know he's a good father.